Our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It's found in page 1046 in the Pew Bibles. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom all hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. We want to be an encouragement to you. As a matter of fact, we want to encourage you also by inviting you to lunch today. It'll be after the late service, and it is a newcomer's luncheon, as well as all that are guests are invited to it also. The, the lunch is provided, and all we need is for you to provide yourself as newcomers and as guests. We'd love to have you. It'll follow uh, late worship just in the fellowship hall across from the foyer here. If you need any questions answered about that, be sure and see any of us. We'd love to tell you more about it. And we're really thankful that you're here today and we hope that you feel welcomed. In the fourth course of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Sharon Whitley wrote about an occasion that took place in 1974 when she was 23 years of age. She graduated from college and just thankful that she was able to finally find a job in teaching. It was out in the desert little town out in California and uh, she had a difficult position. She worked at a school, 10 year old to 14 year old boys that had been arrested, but yet she was glad to be there. But that's not exactly where she begins her story. She begins her story by talking about how much her father cared for. She said, I could any time walk up to my dad and he would stop what he was doing and he would just look me right in the eyes and he would listen as I breathlessly spoke and spoke and spoke to him. At 13 years of age and I was lanky and awkward, he taught me how to gracefully walk like a lady. And at 17 years of age, when I told him that there was a new guy in school and I really wanted to get to know him, dad gave me the advice to keep the conversation neutral and ask him about his car. I came in from school the next day glowing, saying, Dad, it worked, and he is going to ask me out. I just know it. To which my father replied something like this, Oh, beautiful young lady like you, the problem's not gonna be getting the guys, we're just gonna have to figure out how to get rid of them. Well, whenever she graduated and she started uh, working out in that little desert town, Obviously, her dad was concerned, but she assured him, you've raised me right. I'll be okay. One day she stepped out of the school at the end of a day, and to her surprise, the time had gotten away. She was shocked as she saw that there were no other cars in the parking lot and glanced down at her watch. She was shocked to see it was already six o'clock in the evening. 
And then she was shocked to see that all the gates were locked. She went from one gate to the other and she was locked in. But she noticed one of the gates was a little bit off the ground and she summarized to herself, I think I could slide under that gate to which she pushed first her purse through. Then she laid on her back and she pulled herself through. She picked her purse up and started walking through the grass, making her way over to the parking lot and she heard footsteps and voices behind her. She looked back and she could tell by what the apparel was that it was a group of guys in a gang. And one of them yelled out, hey, are you a teacher? To which another one immediately yelled out, she's too young, she must be an aide. To which another one yelled out, she's cute, let's get her. And she heard the footsteps turn into a run. And she began to run toward her car. She naturally reached back for her keys in her purse. And to her surprise, they weren't there. They must have fallen out of her purse when she slid under the gate. And then her fingers just began to dig frantically inside her purse and they found the bottom of her purse and she felt something that she'd never felt before. There was a single key. She grasped that key and she began to pray, please let this key open my car door. She didn't know where the key had come from. She'd never seen it before. She arrived to her car. She inserted the key. It opened her door. She slammed the door locked the doors, just as the guys begin to kick the car, beat on the windows, and pound on the hood. She tried that same key in the ignition, and it cranked. And she drove off. When she got in, her phone was ringing. And it was her dad, and said, just wanted to check up on you today and see how you were doing. And she decided not to tell him, because she didn't want to worry him. So they had a good conversation, and then... Just before he got off the phone, he said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that the last time you were home, I made you an extra key, but I didn't see you. And so I just dropped that extra key down in your purse. To which she hung up the phone and she held up that key. And to her, that key was not just a key. To her, that key showed the love and the care that her father had had for her all throughout her life. You know, there's something powerful when people truly and genuinely care for each other. Sure, it's expressed in words, but it's expressed a lot deeper in actions. It's genuine, it's from the heart because from the heart that care exists. And you know, when we don't see it in a family, we oftentimes even say that family is dysfunctional. We just look at a physical family and we expect there to be care. But this morning, I want to ask you about your spiritual family. And not about do they care for you. This morning, I want to ask you about your heart. And about how about your care? How about your love? Your genuine concern for God's kingdom. We're kingdom people. And when we look in Acts, the second chapter, and if you have your Bible open, look at Colossians. You're right there in Colossians. I want to remind you, and no apologies for it, because I'll do it many times. You remember somewhat of our theme verse in Colossians 1 and 13 and 14. See there, we have been delivered from this power of darkness, and we've been conveyed into what? The kingdom of his son of love. 
And so when we have left this dark place of the world only by the redemption and the forgiveness in verse 14 that is found through Jesus Christ, we have been placed in this place that is reigned, king, reigned by the king. We are kingdom people. Well, what does that look like as the church was established? In Acts the second chapter, we see that the preaching that day was about the king. It was about Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but God raised from the dead. And if you have your Bible open, we don't have a slide for this, but I want you to notice in verse 40, he said, and with many other words, did he testify and exhort to them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, we're drowning in this darkness, in this crooked generation. And what, what are we longing for? Well, notice what happened in 41 of Acts 2. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Who were they added to? They were added to those who live in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Paul writes the book of Colossians and he writes about the king of the church. He writes about the king of the kingdom people. And what is interesting is that Paul begins the second chapter deeply expressing his care for the kingdom. Right now in your heart, would it be safe and accurate to say, that you deeply care for the church, that you deeply care for the people that make up the church. That's what the church is. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's the kingdom of Christ the King. Does your heart reveal your deep care? Or would it be that you're somewhat apathetic? Or would it be that the truth is, you just don't like the church. Where would you fall into this? Today, I want you to see an example of Paul. And as we go throughout this day today, by the time the, the lesson is done this evening, we'll see not only that he cared, but we will see what it means. Like for example, right now, if you had to get out a piece of paper and write one paragraph, what does it mean to care for the church? What does it mean to care for the church? What do you care about? when you care for the church. Now we can't study all of that today, but we can study five or six characteristics that Paul, as we've just had so capably read, Paul clearly lays out his care for the church. So let's go back to Colossians, the second chapter and read with me if you, again, if you will, verse one, where Paul says, for I want you to know what a great conflict. Now notice that wording there. I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. What's Paul saying here? When he says I have a great conflict, that may not be the way we would normally say it, but listen, we're not twisting things. What he is saying exactly is he's saying, I've got this heavy burden that I am carrying I have, I have this conflict. I have somewhat of an anxiety level that I am dealing with. 
And you could rush up to Paul and say, Paul, what is it that's such a heavy burden? And he would say, I have this great care. I have this great burden for the church. Except here, what he does is he's writing to Colossae. And so he speaks to the Colossians first. And notice there in verse one, he says, it's for you, the Christians that are at Colossae. But then he also says, and also for those in Laodicea. And then he also, third says, and then also for as many as I've not seen face to face on this earth. So what is he saying? In, in essence, what he's saying is, I love those of you that we've had the opportunity to meet. But he said, I also love those that are part of this kingdom that I've never had the opportunity to meet. I don't know where you are spiritually, but I want you to chew on that one this week. And I want you to really evaluate, have you grown to a high enough or a thorough enough spiritual development that not only do you love the brothers and sisters that you can interact with, but that you have a genuine love for all of God's children because you recognize what brings you together is so special and so awesome. We would be over here lost and intermingled with a hopelessness in a dark world if it were not for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who brings us together. God's love is the reason that we have been brought together. And there ought to be this amazing love that we have for each other because of the one and the cause that brings us together. So what does that look like? On this next slide here, you see a map, and if that helps you at all, that's just a little blown up there in the oval. That's the Tri-Cities area that many think that maybe Paul had in mind when he even said, the others that I've not seen face to face. It's believed that some way Paul must have met several in Colossae, even though we do not know of him going there. And then he would have probably met some in Laodicea. And then perhaps there's that Tri-City area of Hierapolis that maybe he had not met many there, but yet he still says, I've got this great burden that I'm caring for all of you. And as I said, we're going to spend the rest of the day seeing what that burden is, except for this time this morning. This morning, we're going to see why care. Like, for example, there are many of us here that have never been to Brazil. And we've never worshipped with our brothers and sisters that worship with Nick and Amy Fowler this morning. But do you care? And I'll say that like a cliche. I say that asking you, to test your heart. Do you care? Are you burdened that they're doing well? Or if souls there in that small young congregation are not doing well, are you burdened that they're not? Do, do you care? We have congregations that we work with all across Latin America. They're meeting this morning. Many of them will be meeting within the next hour or so. Do you care? We think about Ukraine and the brothers and sisters that some of you have met and others will gather this morning that probably none of you have met. Do we care? South Sudan, there will be hundreds and hundreds of Christians that some and a few of our people here have met that will be worshiping. And yet there will probably be thousands that no one here has met. 
Do we care? Friends, if our focus and our understanding is so small that we believe that the people sitting on the left and right of us, that's the church. We've turned the church into just a local Mount Juliet social club. And we've missed the greater truth. And that is that God's kingdom is made up of, of millions of people that have said, I want to be delivered from this world and I can't do it myself. And they realize that Jesus is their only hope. And they've been translated, they've been conveyed into this kingdom. And because of who they are, because of who their king is, it should mean something deeply to us. And so what should it mean? I don't know exactly where to go in this. But I tried to think of what is an analogy of the church that would have special meaning. And any of us that are married... You think about the day you got married. And if you're the groom waiting for the bride to walk down the aisle, what does it mean to you to be able to say, that's my bride? That's not just any woman on earth. That one right there is my bride. I've developed this special relationship with her. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. That's my bride. Isn't it interesting the times that of all the analogies Jesus could have given us in the scriptures, that in the Holy Writ, we read of the church that you and I are to care about. Christ says, let me tell you how I care for her. I want you to see a few of these. We won't be able to develop them heavily. I just want you to see how the scriptures teaches us about the church. Back up, if you will, to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians 5, beginning at 22, is the teaching about marriage, but it's also the teaching about the church. It's about the husband and the wife, but it's also about Christ and his bride, the church. And notice this language here in 25, 26, and 27, as he says, husbands love your wives, Ephesians 5. And, and keep in mind, you know that Colossians and Ephesians are sister epistles, and so these go together well. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. What did he do? Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. It's a church special to the Lord that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her. What's that? The church. That's his bride. He's going to present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Here are verses about marriage, but then it's also verses where the Lord says, that's the way I see my church. I want her to be prepared. I want her to be glorious. I want to present her on that great and final day like it is the wedding of all weddings. Back up, if you will, to 2 Corinthians the 11th chapter, 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, very powerful words in verse two and three, 2 Corinthians 11, two and three about the church. For I am jealous for you, Paul is saying this, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you, think Paul is talking to the people at Corinth here, and he says, I've betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Hear that, that wedding language? Hear that bride language? Paul says, let me tell you what I did when I came to you. Everything I tried to do was to get you 
to be and to become the bride of Christ. I didn't try to betroth you to Christ and somebody else. I didn't try to betroth you to Christ and Moses. I didn't try to betroth you to Christ and one of your pagan gods that you believed in when I got there. I knew that you had to be one bride for one groom. Now notice his explanation in three, and this ought to be sobering to us. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, isn't this simple? You're, you're to be one bride, and you're to be presented to one groom. And I fear that you've taken that to be too simple. Brethren, is Christ enough for you? Or do you need Christ in whatever the latest new wave or new age movement is? Or do you need Christ and your own humanism and philosophy? Or do you need Christ and just your own flesh? Are you willing to deny all and to say, I want to come totally and faithfully to the groom? Let's read one more on this topic, Revelation the 19th chapter, verse 7 and 8, Revelation 19, 7 and 8. <clears throat> Listen to the bride language. Revelation 19 and 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb. Remember, Christ is the lamb. The marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Are you ready as a bride? And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Those that have devoted themselves to become the bride of Christ, that devotion, that righteousness, that new life, not in the darkness, but that new life in the kingdom is how they have prepared themselves. Now we know from other passages, we can't prepare ourselves alone. It's through Christ that we're able to prepare ourselves, but we also know he's not gonna force us. And so just like we read in Acts 2 just a few moments ago, we have to save ourselves from this perverse generation, but we also in doing that have to turn to the only one who can save well, who would do that? Since we're so close right here in your Bible, I, I want you to back up just a few pages to 1 John. And we're going to summarize this point by looking at a passage that's not about Christ being the church, but it is about love. And it's a simple fact. You remember what we're asking this morning? Do you love? Do you care for? Do you have a genuine, deep concern for the Lord's kingdom? Not just the people that are sitting around you, but whoever it may be, wherever they may live. Look at 1 John 5 and verse 1. Why would we love? Why would we care? Here's a great teaching. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now pause there. Jesus being the Christ. Christ means glorified one. So do you believe that he was just Jesus of Nazareth? Many of his contemporaries of that day believed that he was Jesus of Nazareth, but you say, do you believe he's the Christ? Do you believe he's the Messiah? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, so you're not going to become a disciple. No, no. I believe in Jesus of Nazareth. I do not believe Jesus the Christ. So see what he's saying here. He's saying those that are willing to devote their life to him being king of their life, he says they're born of God. And everyone who loves him 
who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Isn't that amazing? Everyone that says, I love Jesus who is begotten of the Father. He says, okay, you love him. You're going to love everyone who is begotten of the Son. Why should we care for each other? Oh, well, we're just the same age and, and you know, we just click and, and it's just natural that we care for each other. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager or if you're in your 90s. If you claim to be kingdom people, God expects you to have great care for each other. It doesn't matter if you're living in Africa or America and you're both kingdom people. God expects you to care for each other. It doesn't matter if you're highly educated or the other is hardly educated. God expects you to care for each other. And I don't know what we're going to do in the church today to believe this and to live this. But I feel like we're in a tug of war right now with a world that is just segregating every age and every financial status and, and it just feels like that we're being pulled apart. And this morning it may seem too simple, but my plea to you from the scripture is that the church is not supposed to be pulled apart. Why would someone look over at another person down their pew that in many ways they have nothing in common with, why would they care for them? Because the only thing that matters, we have in common. Are we in the world? Are we in the kingdom? We're kingdom people. That's all that matters. That should bring deep love. That should bring deep care. And in that, I hope, I hope we never, never forget what brings us together. Come back tonight. We're going to look at all the characteristics that follow. We've already had the passage read that we say, what does it mean to care? And he's going to show us what it means to care. So what I learned today Number one, I learned that it's only right to care. If I look deep into my heart and I can honestly say I hadn't thought about souls outside of this church building and I don't know when, something's wrong. We need to understand just how big this kingdom is and how beautiful it is. Number two, Christ wants us to care for his bride. How would you feel? Any of you that have been grooms, how would you feel? If you found out that people said that they liked you, but they didn't care at all for your bride, it wouldn't add up, would it? And it doesn't with Christ either. And then we're going to see that as we come back tonight, we're going to see this third one. I ought to care about my brothers and sisters, inner person, 
not just what's going on on the outside, but who are they deep inside? Because that's where all of our being begins with who we are at heart. And that's where we'll begin tonight. This morning, if you're in the depths of the world, you need to know that God cares for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He did that from Colossians 1 and 13 and 14 so that he could move us into a saved, righteous, beautiful relationship with him in the kingdom. If you have never become a Christian, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Are you willing to repent and turn away and allow the king to reign and rule in your life? Are you ashamed of him or not? If you're willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God, why not be baptized into Christ this morning for the remission of your sins? Become a kingdom person. If you've begun that journey and along the way, you've just quit caring about the things that really matter. Or maybe there are other things that are justified cares that's on your heart and you want to pray about those. If there's anything that we can help you with this morning, come as we stand.